We have reached the end of our journey this season with Nearly Departed, a ghost story anthology. This has been an extraordinary experience for me to push myself into sharing my fiction with you all, and I so appreciate everyone who has spent time in my little universe. But the Halloween half of the year is now very much upon us. And without further ado, Chapter 7 The House in the Cul-de-Sac October 24th, 2023 Gwen Gibson These are notes on my first paranormal interview. The house in the cul-de-sac didn't look haunted. Two rectangular stories, brick on the bottom half and siding on the top. It was a cul-de-sac in Garden Oaks, a neighborhood in Houston I grew up outside of, and I remember where a wooden sign, a painted stork carrying a bundle, seemed to jump from lawn to lawn, letting neighbors know which house was expecting a new little one. That seemed like such a relic of the 90s. Did any neighborhood do that anymore? They were pleasant and uniform middle-class dwellings when I was growing up. Small plots side by side with neat little one or two-story post-war homes. Tidy little tutors, ranches, and rarer, larger colonials. Friendly little houses with small, but often impeccably landscaped, yards. Pools were common, and often reached almost to their fences, leaving only corners to set up a lawn chair or two, maybe a grill in the yard. Houses made for young kids and pool parties. Stairwells lined with wedding photos of shiny-faced 80s brides with headbands and portraits of grandparents from the 50s. I didn't visit the neighborhood much anymore, and a few of the little homes had been demolished and replaced with homes that built right up to their fences, large and white and stacked tall like a wedding cake, precariously teetering over the brownie-like houses around it. It was an overcast afternoon, and humidity was heavy in the air. I tried to fluff the side of my frazzled, pale hair, which I had accidentally pressed flat leaning against my car window, wondering if I should just drive home. But I got out and walked the neat path to the side door out of habit. The neighborhood was silent except for the buzz of insects and birds. I rang the doorbell, and Linda Cardiff answered, looking just like I remembered her. Until yesterday, I hadn't heard her name in years, though it was ingrained in my soul the way names mentioned since you were a toddler are ingrained. She had thrown every Halloween party I had ever been to growing up, her daughters being best friends with my sister for her early years. My memories were hazy images. Linda and her girls all had thick brown hair and big round bangs. Images of them in poofy floral print dresses with white collars came into focus in my mind, Maybe school photos? Mostly I remembered the Halloween parties. An igloo cooler filled with dry ice. Five-year-olds dressed as Ariel and Pocahontas. The pant legs of adults shuffling us around. My memories had such a nostalgic haze. I was worried about damaging them by walking into the house, which had surely had a farmhouse chic update five years ago. Doubt crawled up again, asking, Why am I doing this? Who do I think I am doing this? 
I had gotten the idea to do my own ghost interview after I had found Miss Kandinsky's tapes. I was inspired and thought it might be fun to try to do a little ghost hunting myself. I posted on Instagram, asking if anyone knew anyone who lived or had lived in a haunted house and wanted to tell their story. Two days later, I got a message from my mom telling me to check my email. I didn't know how exactly the math of the news traveled, but somehow, round-banged Mrs. Cardiff, who I hadn't spoken to in a decade, was asking about scheduling so she could share her ghost story. As it happened, I was visiting home the week before Halloween, and was available very soon to stop by Mrs. Cardiff's house, if she still lived less than a mile from my parents. She did. So, we made the date. Hi, Gwenny! It has been so long, she said, pulling me into an easy hug. Her thick bangs were still rounded. Hello, Mrs. Cardiff. I smiled bashfully and pet-slash-pushed her elderly cocker spaniel away from my legs, where it was generously depositing its hair. I love that color on you. Your mom always wore such fun, funky colors, too, she said. I smiled, looking down at my lime sweater. She led me to her breakfast table, which was set with placemats and a wooden chicken napkin holder. Would you like some coffee? Madison gave us her maker from college. It's one of those that eats pods. Sure. Um, the hazelnut one, I said, as she gestured to her carousel of colorful little coffee pods. Aside from the Keurig, the home looked exactly as it had when I was small. There was a floral wallpaper border around the kitchen and warm, rounded wooden chairs with frilly cushions tied to the seats. I peeked into the living room from where I sat and saw that the couches and a bookshelf were covered in plastic tarping, and the walls looked prepped for painting, the edges striped with painter's tape. But it was the only room that looked as if it had been touched since. Hmm. Maybe I had caught them mid-update. The purpose of my visit was still unspoken, due to my inability to willingly put someone else in an awkward position. I wanted to say, so you have some experience with a paranormal entity. Instead, I landed on, y'all renovating? We're trying. She started to speak again, stopped herself, and looked around behind her shoulder. In a distant room, a television had turned on loudly. She lowered her voice presumably to not let whatever family member was home in the house in on our talk. Would you like to enjoy these on the patio? I nodded and followed her to the black wrought iron furniture near her small pool. We sat near a profusion of painted pots of all sizes exploding with ferns. She surprised me by pulling a pack of Marlboro lights and a lighter from behind one of the pots. My mom hates when I smoke she said, with the thin white cigarette between her teeth as she lit it, sitting across from me. Oh, yeah? Does she live with y'all? Oh, yeah. <sighs> I thought she'd move out when she died, but we haven't been so lucky. I stared. She savored her cigarette and crossed her thin, soft arms, dotted with so many freckles it looked like a pixelated tan. So that that's why you called me here? She's haunting your house? Of course, honey. I'm not going to pay some woman with purple eyeshadow and a box of crystals to walk around my house. I wanted somebody I could trust. The air went out of my lungs a bit, and I struggled to respond. I don't... I'm not an expert in this kind of thing. I could make it worse if I try to do anything about it. She shook her head dismissively. I seriously doubt that's possible. I wanted you, Gwenny Lou, 
I grinned despite myself. I loved the way Texan women added little things to my name. Well, why don't you start from the beginning? When did you first notice she had hung around? Linda stared mistily into her backyard, which was buzzing with the sound of the insects and the owl-like hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo of morning doves. I guess it started a few weeks after her funeral, when we began to clean out her room. It was surreal, boxing up her things. But I had already cleaned out my parents' house when my daddy passed a few years ago, so I had this practical system for getting rid of stuff, and Steve and I were making real progress, and pretty soon I had a trunk full of boxes of clothes and knickknacks to take right to the thrift store. So the first time I tried to drive it over to drop it off, I remember I smelled my mother's perfume like crazy in the car, but I figured it was just her stuff in the back. I hit a pothole, and my hubcap pops off and the rim gets all out of shape. Now, don't ever drive on a bent rim, Gwen. You can cause more damage that way. I nodded respectfully, promising that I wouldn't. So I turn back and work on handling the wheel, and I forget about the boxes in the back for about a week or two when I'm driving Steve's car. Then we get the car back, and I finally get to the thrift store to drop the boxes off. I ask the employee to grab a dolly. I pop my trunk, and there's nothing there. I cocked my head. What? She nodded knowingly. I'm embarrassed as hell, and I drive home, and I look around the garage, look around the house, I call the mechanic, nothing. Then I finally find them stacked neatly back in my mom's old room upstairs. Five heavy boxes hauled upstairs, and the smell of her perfume in there hits me like a ton of bricks. I think her bottle must have fallen open in one of them, but I didn't remember packing any perfume. I text Steve and ask why the hell he put the boxes back, and he has no idea what I'm talking about. That's when I started to get, like, a sick feeling. The girls don't live with us anymore. The mechanic had our car for a couple of days, but the boxes were definitely in the trunk when I picked up the car. I remember that because they asked if we were moving. I decided to try to put it out of my mind, even though deep down I knew there was something seriously off. So I loaded up the boxes and dropped them off as quick as I could. You never found out who had moved them? I asked, sitting forward. She shook her head. Then, sometime after that, it's nighttime, okay? It's just me and Steve in bed asleep. In the middle of the night, it's like 2 a.m. I wake up. Do that? Uh, I activated the alarm, turned on my side, and activated it. A TV is on in the house. So I got up to investigate, and it's coming from the door across from ours, my mom's old room. Now, I think it would be helpful to know, my mother is very passive-aggressive. I mean, she was probably just aggressive, but I say passive-aggressive because she would never say what was bugging her. She would do all these roundabout crazy things to let you know she was upset. I open her door, and the room is dark, except for the glow of this old, boxy TV playing commercials I haven't seen in 30 years. I think I might be dreaming, but I'm not. Steve is awake. So I throw on the light real quick, and I can see what looks like the indentation of a body in the bed. There are two pillows stacked against the headboard, and it looks like someone is pressing into them. My hands flew to my mouth. 
So I just ran to the TV, turned it off, flipped the light real quick, and slammed the door behind me. I was terrified. I could barely get back to sleep for the rest of the night. I kept expecting the TV to turn on again. It wasn't until the next day, when I really explained to Steve what had happened, that he pointed out that we didn't have cable anymore. There's no way it could have been playing anything. It's an old TV, but it's not connected to anything. It doesn't even have a USB port. It was on the lawn the next heavy trash day. Did you know it was your mom at this point? I asked. She sighed. I think I always did. I was just hoping I was wrong. I thought maybe if I got rid of the stuff she was messing with, I could starve her out like a fire. And nothing happened after that night for a while. Until we tried to paint. The truth is, she lowered her voice. We're thinking about moving. We want to update the place a little bit to sell. We don't need three bedrooms anymore. So we pulled the wallpaper from the living room like you saw, and we chose a really nice muted taupey color, and we paid a man to come out and paint it. It went on beautifully, and then that evening it went weird. I touched it lightly to see if it was dry, and it was like gel, like wet nail polish when I touched it. Like it had congealed and it wouldn't stick to the wall. Like the walls were rejecting it. When our painter came back the next day to do another coat, he couldn't explain it. When he would use a brush on it, it would slide off the wall. None of it had dried. He ended up scraping it all off, and it came off like it was pudding or something. Just wiped right off. He didn't know what the hell to think. The paint was run-of-the-mill stuff he uses every day. He chalked it up to just like a bad batch or something, and we got our money back from the store. But throughout the painting process, I could smell my mother's powdery perfume in the room, and I just knew that she didn't approve. Maybe it was the color. We tried again ourselves with a different brand, a different color. Same thing happened. So we just stopped. And now we don't know what to do with it. I looked wide-eyed through the blinds into the living room with the painter's tape. The walls were a completely clean maroon, as if nothing had happened. Was she very particular about your house and life? I asked. Linda gave me a big-eyed nod. Oh, yes. She took me shopping to furnish the place after we got married, which was a very generous gift. But the catch was that she would only buy things that she in particular liked. And we were pretty broke after buying the house, so I just went along with it. But she basically totally furnished the place. And she did the same when the girls came along because I wasn't going to turn down bed frames and dressers when we're up to our eyeballs and bills. It seemed like a boon at the time, but there were always these strings attached that made me queasy. If she bought little dresses for the girls, they better be wearing them the next time she saw them and in our family pictures. And she always chose the scratchiest little doll dresses. I could hardly get the girls in the things without a shoe missing and a bow torn off. Then she would give us all the silent treatment for a week or two to show her displeasure. All of us. Can you imagine giving a four-year-old the silent treatment? She was just foolish, and any time I tried to talk to her about it, she'd just dissolve into this Southern Belle act and get all misty-eyed. Linda rolled her eyes and laughed. Oh, I'm just trying to leave my grandbaby something to remember me because I'm due to drop dead any minute, and you would just love that, wouldn't you? <laughs> she could have earned her pilot's license with all the guilt trips she took me on. I snorted. So we put a pause on painting, uh, like we put a pause on redoing her room. 
Our living room has been like that for, she thought for a moment. Oh, God, it's three years now. And that's not the worst of it. A chill went through me, and my eyes kept darting into the window to look for shadows in the corners. I was glad we were outside. She went on. Madison and her boyfriend at the time, now husband, Jared. Do you know Jared? No, y'all didn't go to school together. Uh, Jared came to stay with us during the worst of the pandemic. They had been in a little apartment in D.C. and they wanted some space to move around. So they stayed in Madison's old room and we were happy to have them. Jared is like family, even at that point. So about a month after they move in, he and I are alone in the kitchen together making breakfast. And he asks if there's anything up with the house. My heart sinks. I ask him very seriously what he means. He tells me that a week before, he had been awoken in the middle of the night, and there was an old woman in the corner of the room watching him. My mouth fell open again. What? He couldn't make her out very well. She's mostly just a dark shape. But he distinctly felt it was an old woman. He had just closed his eyes, hoping that it was just the dark shapes tricking his eyes. But the next night, he had woken up in the middle of the night again. And this time, she was sitting on the bed, staring at him. He said there was a weird, powdery perfume smell around her. He covered his face until the smell went away, and then ran to Melissa's old room and slept there for the night. He hadn't been back to Madison's room. I didn't know what to tell him. I was shocked. But I had had a nagging feeling when I invited them to stay that my mother wasn't going to like them sleeping in the same bed. They stayed, but he didn't risk sleeping in Madison's bed again. And we just didn't talk about it. Have you ever tried talking to your mom about it, telling her to stop? I said. She ran her hands through her hair, exhausted. No... I think all my years of fighting useless fights with her have kind of killed that instinct. I learned to just let her have her way and do damage control. But I just want to move on for this chapter of my life to be over. And I thought it would be when she died. But then the pandemic happened and she stuck right around. And I can't change anything to move. And I'm back walking on eggshells trying to please her. And it feels like it's Groundhog Day over and over. And if we do manage to move, I bet she'll just follow me and explode my oven if I make carrot cake instead of coffee cake for a baby shower. I can't escape. I'm an adult. I've earned some time to myself, and I feel like I'm a teenager who has to sneak out of my house to have a damn cigarette. I stared at her, commiserating, when out of the corner of my eye, I noticed that the large television in the living room through the window was on. Did you turn the television on before we came outside? I asked hesitantly. No, what? We both peered through the window and saw the television playing an old talk show I didn't recognize. There was a couch filled with people and a woman with short blonde hair and red glasses taking questions from the audience. Linda sighed heavily. What show is that? I asked. The Sally Jesse Raphael show, she said, resigned. Her favorite. We sat, tense for a moment. I'm going to see what I can do to help you close this chapter, okay? I may have a friend that can help. Um, do you mind if I use your bathroom before I head back? 
Oh, of course, honey, go upstairs. We have a water pressure problem down here. As I walked up the soft, carpeted stairs, I texted my friend Logan. Hey, free for coffee tomorrow? Still talking to ghosts? Logan was a friend with some pretty pronounced mediumship abilities, but I wasn't sure if she would be interested in helping Linda out. In the bathroom, the toilet seat was one of those clear blue aquarium ones with fish swimming around and a matching soap dispenser. Wow, they really did need an update. I was washing my hands, fixated on the clam-shaped sink with scalloped edges, when my hearing turned muffled and I heard a buzzing like I was inside an airplane. As I looked up in the mirror, trying to pop my ears, there was an old woman standing behind me. She was small and delicately featured, with deep wrinkles in her soft face, fluffy white hair, and bright makeup. Her eyes were electric blue, and in the split moment I saw her, the whites became more and more bloodshot until there was no white left. She opened her mouth in an angry yell, and I saw her short, gray teeth. I was finally able to scream, and I ran out of the small bathroom down the stairs. What? What happened? Linda said, her thin hands taking my wet ones at the landing. I met your mother. I gulped. Logan met me the next day at Campesino Coffee House in Montrose over sweet, strong Cuban coffee. She kept raising her thin, dark eyebrows higher and higher as I told her about Linda's home and her mother. This is a really shitty situation, Logan said in her consistently bright tone. The spirit is both really attached to the house and really attached to her daughter. Hopefully she's just clingy and if I can bring some family to help take her over, she'll finally let go. So you can do a clearing? You, you can do that? Yeah, I don't see why not. I'm good with stubborn people. Later that week, Linda and Logan did a clearing together. She had had no trouble since, and felt she could finally move into the next chapter of her life. I guess my first ghost interview could be marked down a success. I got the shit scared out of me, and I may have done some good. Hopefully I'll be as lucky with my next. Gwen. Halloween had come to George Street, and their annual block party was starting to see its first sulking teenagers and hyper-children dragging their parents to the food stalls. Miss Kandinsky had, in her later years, used her front yard for psychic readings, setting up a small tent and putting a few rugs inside with one of the end tables and a crystal ball from the house. She would wear a velvet shawl and tell all the kids that they would become emperors and pirates and princesses. Gwen had been the wrangler of the line, and she heard most of the readings. Oscar had his heart set on face painting for his first block party contribution, so he and Paul had been building a stall with a vintage circus theme while Gwen was in Texas ghostbusting. Oh my god, a customer. 
Oscar breathed to Gwen as a nervous child in a wolfman costume approached with his dad. Oscar set right to work helping his face match his furry gloves and his torn clothing. Gwen found Paul, and they sat in his yard next door in dining room chairs he had brought out. Paul brought them some cider, and they watched as his caramel apple station became flooded with neighbors. Across the street from them, their neighbor with a Dalmatian began setting up a projector to show the great pumpkin. The bowl of crushed Oreos was running low for the apples, so Gwen offered to grab some more from Paul's kitchen. She walked into the warm home, muffled by the sounds of the street, and dumped a sleeve of Oreos into a freezer bag to crush. She heard the back door open somewhere behind her, and felt Paul join her in the kitchen. The kids will probably want more than this. I'm going to double up, she said to herself, dropping another sleeve into the freezer bag. Paul rested his hands on her shoulders and leaned his head on top of hers, watching her work. I know the night's not over, Gwen said, but I think this is the best Halloween I've ever had. I just wish... The front door opened, and Paul walked over the threshold, pulling his jacket from a hook. Gwen looked at him, across the room, and her face went slack. Her head snapped to the window across from her, and in a split second before the feeling of being touched disappeared in the window glare, more pronounced now that the sun was setting, she had seen an enormous black, cloaked figure with its black hands on her shoulder and its head resting on hers. Oh, fuck, she whispered to herself. He's back. You have been listening to Nearly Departed. This entire series was completely conceived of, written, produced, edited, sound affected by me, Katie Wiggins. If you like what I do, feel free to follow me on Instagram, Katie, K-A-T-Y underscore Wiggins. If you want to see me perform or do all the stuff that all the other creative projects that I do, I'm so grateful for you for listening to this and for, for participating in this project. And... Uh, While this is the end of this season, I do hopefully anticipate a holiday episode and then a new season in a few months. So stay tuned, my wonderful little creeps, and happy Halloween. Halloween.